What's up, Brian? Hey, hey, Bobby. Here we are at another Listener's Choice Part 1, Part 2 podcast. Today, a question came in from our audience about negotiations. Negotiations of that deal, maybe when we're sitting at the table and the customer keeps asking us for more. We're going to dive into a lot of little situations and little tactics that we think will help you. And if you guys want us to turn this into a four-part series, let us know. There's We could talk about this for hours. There's also going to be a book review that, that comes from this Listener Choice episode. Uh, the book's a great book. It's called You Can Negotiate Anything. And we'll get that out on our website when we post part two of this in a coming day or two. Perfect. So, Bobby, before we jump into it, uh, let's talk about the tools. So this continues to be the number one hit part of our website. Uh, we'd love to add more, so please give us ideas. Um, in fact, we've got another one that will drop here uh, in this upcoming week based purely off a question, a question that came in from a listener. So a quick recap, and we're actually going to do a full podcast on this, but a quick recap of what we've done so far. We've got from our impeccable first meeting series, we've got meeting prep checklists, we've got 50 goals and outcomes, We've got uh, meeting prep templates, so it's kind of a guide no matter what tool you use. Uh, we've got a quick way for you to get started to help get prepared for those meetings. Um, from territory planning, we have a territory planning checklist. We've got a partner visualization tool that Bobby has used for as long as I've known him. It's a great way to um, show your territory in a very visually sharp way. Um, and then most recently, we've launched and rolled out the Prospect Pipeline and Execution Workbook. We've had a ton of downloads on this. Um, it's the way I've used for as long as I can remember, um, the way I manage my territory and I advance um, prospects from the prospects page to a customer stage. So if you haven't checked out our tools page, check it out. It's bobbyandbrian.com tools. Yeah, lots of good stuff out there, and we keep adding more weekly. So... Again, today could be an entire series, but we're going to answer a listener's choice question today about negotiations. And if you want more, let us know. We'll record more and give you more tips and tricks. Perfect. So, Bobby, the specific question that came in is, how can I get better at those last-minute negotiations with a client? Literally, the final proposal proposal slash solution delivery session when they continue to ask for more. So, Bobby, in this scenario, and actually we'll play out a few scenarios... But this is a, you know, they've been working a deal for some time. Uh, and then somebody on their team, maybe their virtual team, comes in and, and wants to sell something additional to the customer or the customer has asked for something in, in addition to kind of that original solution. Um, so we'll hit that, that scenario uh, right off the bat. So it's a great question. And I'm sure we've all been in a situation where we got to the game last minute and we're still trying to win the business or negotiate with someone to get the deal across the finish line. At the end of the day, I don't think getting there is really the problem that we need to solve, Brian. I think getting to that meeting or getting to that point with the plan of how to negotiate is what we're gonna be able to help listeners with today. I think too often in my my history, I've seen reps that have worked for me or worked around me not follow a sales process to that point. So they're really kind of at the first stage of talking about the deal and the parameters around that deal, which feels like negotiations. And then if it is a last minute deal, we may be way behind, but we need to understand what we're willing to negotiate, what we're willing to give. My gut says if I'm really late to the game and I'm getting asked to pitch something over the fence and the customer wants more, I may be willing to give a little bit more. But the tactic that I would use there at a high level would be getting the no pretty quick. 
so that I could get to a point where I knew where the boundaries were going to be set. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I always think about that in terms of poker chips, right? You gotta you gotta know what's available and what's not available uh, when it comes to the negotiation. No doubt. So why don't you give us a few scenarios that we're going to talk about today, a few situations, and then we'll try and help the customers think through how best to approach those. Yeah, so so we picked a few here. Um, the first one is the last-minute proposal um, from a customer or somebody on your virtual team on top of a broader proposal. So let's say you've been working with a prospective customer or an existing customer on a broader project, and they ask for something last minute that's substantial, or somebody on your virtual team wants to include something that's substantial. Um, But the net of it is, it's kind of changing the structure of the deal. That's the first scenario that we'll talk about. Sure, and let me, I'll give a real world example of that that probably happens a lot in my company, but it's one of those rarefied things that might happen for me each quarter or each half. But maybe I'm working on a big storage proposal and my virtual team asks me to add their product. We'll use an example of the backup team. It says, hey, can we see a little bit of backup hardware or software in there to get the customer to get bought into what we're doing? And that sounds like a great idea. Sounds like a tactic I've used at every company I've ever worked at. Um, but it won't be something that the customer is going to be apt to go probably pay full value for. And they might be in a situation to ask for a whole bunch of stuff. Sure. The second scenario we'll talk about, Bobby, is uh, negotiation at the end of a sales cycle. So maybe it was a, uh, an excellently run sales cycle. Maybe it was a poorly run sales cycle. But uh, that kind of final negotiation towards the end of the, the, end of the deal, um, how do we know when enough is enough, when to draw that line? Yep. The third piece we'll cover off on is a little bit different, but it's one that we've all heard probably every week, every quarter, every year. It's, um, it's the perspective clients that all they want to talk about is price. Uh, sometimes it's from the very first meeting that you go out and see them. Um, how do we shift the focal points um, from price to value? I've never had one of those customers. You might never. have to be the one that talks about that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. kidding. I'm just you kidding. got all so, those rich oil and gas customers, right? Oh, yes, yes. So why don't we jump into the first one? And we'll just use, we'll use a scenario that, that I described. Uh, I got a primary product that's being sold and a secondary product's getting added on. Maybe the customer asked for it, maybe the customer didn't ask for it, but I, I'm going to assume, and I, I think the backstory on this real question was, there was a very limited amount of budget for the add-on component. But of course, the add-on component wanted to get in the door, and they wanted to find a way to make it work. Through the dialogue, the big question became, from me to that person that asked the question was, what are you willing to negotiate? What are you able to negotiate? And I found that they didn't have that stuff locked in. They didn't know what all their levers were or their tactics they could use to negotiate with. So in that scenario, let's just use storage and backup. And let's just say storage is a million dollars and backups $250,000, Brian. But the customer only has $125,000. What's the first thing that you think about when you hear that, that you would start to dialogue with yourself in a prep meeting to negotiate what, what are you thinking about? Well, I'm probably thinking on the lines of two dimensions. The first dimension would be um, budget's one thing. Um, what s- sort of return on investment do I think that my product could, could help them achieve, right? So maybe by investing in this product or service or whatever it is I'm selling, uh, they'll be able to achieve savings elsewhere. 
And if they're not, I'm probably selling the wrong thing. Uh, I should be able to articulate and express that well. Now, for some people, that's for some customers, I should say, that's meaningless or that would be considered a soft cost until they could actually actualize the hard savings. Uh, but the other things I'm thinking about are, are how do I preserve how do I preserve price but can, but help add value or make it softer for them? So I'm thinking of uh, things outside of price. What are the what are the chips that I have available to me to help preserve that price? Yeah, the couple of things that jumped in my head there are um, if they're asking for half the price or half the stuff, can I sell them half the stuff? Can we get them a foot in the door with half the stuff? Um, Pretty much nowadays, everybody's got multi-years built in, whether it's support or services or some variation of maintenance, right? Can we take a few of those years off? If their budget's locked, they would really be willing to negotiate or talk about those levers, I would think. If not, then you, maybe that's how you get to know pretty quick in that situation. But I also think about financing. If you don't, if your company doesn't offer financing, the customer themselves can go out and get their own financing. And I bet that first year payment could very much look like 125. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I mean you can always you can always get flexible there. I think about start date. You know, could could we start the project on a certain date? Could we finish the project on a certain date? Uh, something, Bobby, we did all the time in, in the services business is a specific resource or consultant or a sponsor on the project. Um, there are other there are other chips to play. You need to have a full kind of to your first point when we jumped into this, you need to have a full uh, roster or list of all the tactics or things that you have available to you at your disposal. Um, and you got to play them wisely through the sales process. Yeah, it's funny. We talked about it before we started recording that uh, when we were both at Microsoft, we really never negotiated on price. And for someone who had like almost complete market share and wasn't willing to negotiate on price, uh, we were still able to sell a lot of kit, and we did that through uh, unique ideas and ways to, I would say, bend the rules around some dates and timelines and impending events. And much like it's different in the hardware, hardware world for me, but I think software sellers, maybe even subscription-based sellers, you know, they're probably selling a multi-year contract every time. Those can all be shorter, and if it truly is software or a cloud solution, you should be able to break those things up. And um, a, a question that just jumped in my head that I think a lot of listeners will ask, well, do I have that approval to offer that? You know, I've never needed or seeked the approval of my boss before that negotiation happened because I wanted to go back to my boss and tell my boss, the customer's willing to do this. They've agreed to it. We've agreed back and forth in email. If we can do X, that they'll make the purchase or spending event happen on X. Um, is that a, is that something you've used in the past, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I always think about it as it's a the way I position it with the prospect or the customer is that let us make a business decision internally. And I generally, as you probably do too, I generally have a sense for what we can and can't get approved. So I'll I'll lead the conversation properly. But I, you know, at the end of the day, the company is going to make a business decision on whether or not the economics make sense. Um, but I'm in a much more uh, powerful, powerful position internally. If I've got commitment from the prospects on a deal at a certain value under certain terms and conditions, and the tighter you can be around all that, the my experience is the quicker you'll find approval for it. No question. So situation number one: last minute or a sidecar on a bigger opportunity. Uh, customer keeps asking for more or only has half the budget. 
I think we've doled out a half dozen to a dozen ideas on things that you could have in your brain or on a piece of paper that you're willing to work with back and forth with the customer to negotiate and not get caught on your heels trying to respond in real time to things you don't know what you're going to answer with. Perfect. So Bobby, uh, question number two here, or scenario number two, I should say, is negotiation meeting at the end of a sales cycle. So again, this could be a sales cycle that's been managed extremely well um, or, or poor, poorly, right? I mean, it, we've, we've been in both scenarios, um, or at least I have. Uh, how do we know, you know, we're, we're kind of at the end of the cycle. We know that they want to go with us. Um, how do we know when we've given enough? Great question again. And I'll, I'll say I'm probably one of the few guys that still likes to go to the car dealership and buy a car because I love that negotiation. I love to see this guy or girl who's straight out of college tell me they need to go ask their sales manager for approval. I love it. But you know when I stop asking the used car or the car guy for stuff? What's you know that? When I ask him? When he actually says my boss said no. Until they say no, I'm going to keep asking. I'll ask for floor mats. I'll ask for a hat. I'll ask for a shirt. I'll keep asking until they say no because until they say no, I know they're willing to give me more. So as tech sellers, I think we got to be in a similar mindset to know that we have to get to know. We all want to know if we're allowed to approve one more thing or do one more thing. But if we've really gone through this whole sales cycle, much like a half a day at a car dealership, we should have some idea, just like the car salesman should have some idea of what I'm expecting, whether it's a, a dollar amount, whether it's some more add-ons or something. And we should have those things. More importantly, I think we should have uncovered through all of our time with the customer, the things they really like about our solution and the things that they maybe like are extras in our solution that the competition doesn't have or our differentiators that we should be able to highlight and remind them of those things that maybe aren't super important but that are big differentiators all through the conversation. I would say if we're in this meeting and we're having to negotiate on price, not not the last 1%, but we're still, we still don't know the numbers that we're going to get to. We probably haven't done a good job of defining the solution and defining the value that it's going to bring. Because if we have and we've got the technical win, I don't, I don't ever remember losing on price at that point because we did the hard work first. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, I think, I think, <clears throat> I think about this on two levels. Um, one, like I have to know that we're having an intellectually honest conversation. It, and if we're not, we've we've got to get there before we're actually going to be able to sit down and negotiate, right? If if it's, hey, this other competitor is going to offer these types of terms, but really it's just a it's a bait and switch, or they're uh, you know hiding the sombrero as we used to call it. Mm-hmm. it if if it's if we're playing games that we're not having an intellectually um, uh, true conversation, um, I'm out until we're there. Um, the second piece is what I and this is more tactical, but I think it's really important. Every uh, opportunity or pursuit that I'm in, there's all these little gives along the way, right? And what happens so often is we get to the end of the sell cycle and we're in this final negotiation and they're asking for one more thing and one more thing and one more thing, which we all would do, right? If we were in the position, we would be doing the same thing. But we've got no, many times there's been no uh, list of everything that's been given over that past six months or one month or six days, right? So even if you just very clearly lay it out, here's where we started, 
Here's where we've come along the way. Here are the changes that have been made to the terms. In a very clear, concise way, I think it it shows um, the partnership that you've made on your side. If you are giving them a good deal, and you, and you are if you do have a, um, a a good business deal, a good offer out here, I think it will become very clear if you look at it over the history of the negotiation. No doubt, and in, in my world today, that's normally a proof of concept with a lot of services that we've forgiven and, and not charged for to implement that proof of concept. The partner's time, the partner's elbow grease, and that all adds up to a whole lot. I mean, but at the end of the day, I still think, much like the sales guy at the car dealership, we're going to have to get to know. And I don't think it works if you just say no on their first ask. But if you are having that dialogue, like you said, that is a mutual trying to get to a win-win, then it'll make sense. I've never gone to a car dealership and said, I'd like to buy that car for 100 bucks. Can I do it? I mean, that's a non-starter, just like you said. The, the, the guy would never even entertain it. So there is a balance, and then that balance at some point has to get to a no so you know what the guardrails are in those negotiation lanes. Yep. Perfect. So the third scenario, Bobby, is that, uh, and we've all encountered this, the uh, client or prospective customer um, really only wants to talk about price from the very first meeting that's all they want to discuss. Um, how do we change the conversation? Yeah, those customers are tough. And uh, what I hope for all of them, and if you're listening out there and you're a customer, I hope for all of you that you go to work for a vendor or a reseller one day uh, because you'll understand the dynamics on the other side of the table. But it, it's not all about price. And when they start that, I've been in meetings where you walk in, you sit down, they say, I just need to know how much your product costs. And that's such a, I don't know what the right word is, but I've never worried about what the, the car that I was going to buy, and I hate to use that analogy over and over, but I'm thinking about getting a new car, so it's top of mind. I've never gone to the car dealership and said, how much is this going to cost me to operate, right? Because that's what cost is. The customer that wants to talk about price, and, and we'll talk about dollars per pound, I guess, in this example, is not really worried about that. They're trying to win internally with their boss on, I got a better deal. I did my job for our company and I got us a good deal. The return on that conversation is really the value they're going to be able to consume. So take, take a commodity product, then a commodity product probably is going to have to be cheaper for it to make sense. Uh, we've, we've all seen those type of products. Um, but they're, are commodity products that I can say people have an affinity for. Uh, as I look at my desk, I have a bottle of water on my desk. It happens to be Ozorka. It's Ozorka for a very specific reason in my household, and that's because my wife likes the taste of Ozorka water better than she likes the taste of the general brand at the grocery store water, right? Whether I can tell a difference or not, I don't know, but my wife can, so we, we buy Ozorka. And so there's, there is a difference there, and I bet it's probably a little bit more expensive. Um, than the, than the off-brand, but there's a reason why she likes it, and so we end up getting it. I think that goes in every tech product that listeners to this podcast have in their bag. They have a differentiator, and they have a reason to charge a price for it, or they should walk away like we talked about. But it's their job to get away from having the price conversation. And I have a few tactics we'll probably talk about in part two on how I try and break a customer away from the conversation about price. What are your first thoughts, Brian, when you hear that that IT director or that CFO tell you 
if it's not $100 per user, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, I mean, again, it comes back to an intellectually honest conversation. If if it's positioning and trying to get a great deal, again, I, I can imagine being in their shoes and wanting to help accomplish the same thing for my business. So I'm, I'm trying to measure that. Is this... Do they really only have one hundred dollars, or or are they just looking for a great deal? If they're looking for a great deal and they happen to be a good fit, um, well then you know we'll, we'll we'll keep talking because I think I think we'll get to a point where we're having a good honest conversation. But I I do very often, and I think it's refreshing. Um, I think it's refreshing for for prospects. And, and Phil talked about this a little bit uh, when we had him on in the interview sessions, is I really try to change my cadence in the meeting. And I, I, I don't feel like I'm a traditional salesperson. I'm, as we've discussed before, I'm a bit of an introvert. I've got a little bit of a different approach. And I've, I'm very straightforward with customers to say, or prospective customers to say, look, if, um, if, if these are the scenarios in which you're probably going to be a good fit for us, these are the scenarios where you're going to be not a good fit for us. And I'm content with walking away. I could not have said that seven years ago, eight years ago. I don't think I would have felt comfortable doing that. Um, I'm I'm very comfortable with it these days. I think you've got to be. Um, and if it's true, and if they really only have that dollar value, that budget, uh, then look, it's it's good to know that now, rather than yeah. us investing sixty thousand dollars on a sell cycle that uh, leads to a no down the road. Well, that's a good point. It kind of comes back to Raving Fans, the book that we talk a lot about. You know, you know your business, you know what you're you're trying to accomplish, and then you, you're going to have to say no to some customers. I, I back to the car for the last time in this part, I promise. But uh, I know we've both gone to the Tesla dealership and checked out the Teslas. I don't think they ever even thought about selling it to me for less than what was on the window, and they don't have to. Uh, so. You know, they have a premium product, they don't negotiate, and there's a reason for that. And they lose a lot of customers because of it, but they also have a very unique customer base, which is very much what you were just talking about. And they sell a lot of Teslas to that unique customer base, for sure. Yeah, it sounds like you're about to be one. Um, no, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a way out in the future episode or something else. But with that, I think we've talked about uh, half hour. So let's wrap up today's part one of negotiation tips and tricks. And we'll pick up maybe in a couple of days and wrap it up with part two. Sounds great. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you.